to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl. It is Tuesday, June 15th. On today's show, the Los Angeles Clippers annihilate the Utah Jazz in Game 4. That playoff series is tied at 2-2. Before we get there, please share this show with anyone in your life that you know likes sports. Please download our app. Uh, you can search for it under the name The Beehive TV. You can find it on anything that you want. Amazon Fire, Roku, iOS, Android. Uh, do both of those things, and I will send all the good vibes that I possess your way. We will start the show how we always start the show, why gambling should be legal in Utah. Last night was a very rough night for me on many, many levels. Gambling uh, right at the top of that list. I was just getting hammered in everything I was betting on, baseball, basketball, hockey. Uh, and I was tuned into Hawk Sixers, which ended up being a very enjoyable basketball game unlike the one that I'm going to talk about for this show. And I bet Joel Embiid's points, rebounds, and assists to be over 44 and a half. Embiid has been dominant, and I said, this is just, this is a gold ticket. Cash it in, it's easy. Uh, and he's on pace, he's doing all the Joel Embiid things that you want in the first half. Sixers build up an 18-point lead. It looks like they're going to just squash the Hawks and go up 3-1 in the series. Uh, and then the second half happens. And Joel Embiid goes 0 for 12 from the field. He's hurt his knee. He's flopping and flailing on every possession. He's falling down. He's doing this. He's doing that. All the things that every NBA star does that when you're on the side that's rooting against them or for them, they just drive you insane. And you go, get up. Get up. What are you doing? Just do anything. Make any shot. Just for once in your life, take even minimal contact and don't act like you're dying, you know? It was all these things. So he misses a go-ahead layup that, with seven seconds to go. He finishes with the combined points, rebounds, and assists of 42, off by two and a half. There are five million things I could point to in the second half where I go, if you just did that, then my bet cashes. Uh, it was just one of those frustrating gambling nights where I'm losing my bets, I'm watching NBA players flop all over the court, and I don't feel great about my state of existence. So... Why gambling should be legal in Utah? Because it will give you a fantastic reason to scream, get up, you oaf, whenever an NBA player flops to the floor. And now, a word from our sponsor. With your masquerading and you always call Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. The LA Clippers pounded on the Utah Jazz last night in Game 4 of the Western Conference Semis. The final score was 118-104. Uh, that is not an indicator or reflection of how the game played out. It was uh, an ass-kicking in every sense of the word. I was half-tempted to, in place of recording for this show, just take the video from yesterday's, which was about Game 3, and replay it today. And say, everything that I said in yesterday's show, how the Clippers won, how the Jazz lost, uh, how to make sense of any of these things, I'm going to be a broken record today. Because Game 4 was nearly a mirror image of what was going on in Game 3. Uh, this was disappointing to me because I spoke on yesterday's show about how fired up I was for the game. 2-1, two, 
Jazz have a chance to really put a stranglehold on the series. Win game four, go back, try to close it out in game five. And I expected an effort in game four that would match that understanding. That you can't come out like you did in game three and piss down your leg and have the Clippers do whatever they want. And it was kind of that, you know. It was the balloon being deflated six minutes into the game. Uh, I spoke about the Hawks and the Sixers at the top of the show and the Hawks come back from an 18-point deficit. But strangely enough, even after watching that game, six minutes into this game, I just felt like there was no way the Jazz were going to win. Uh, And that lead got stretched out and out. And by midway through the second quarter, uh, the Clippers are up by 29 points. And you just went, well, you can kind of punt on this game. If you want to watch it, you can watch it. But there's not going to be a lot to be gleaned from especially the second half of this game. So I'm going to talk pretty exclusively about the first quarter and the first half. Because that's where, again, the game was decided. Uh, Clippers are up 30-13 to after one quarter. They start the first quarter exactly how they started the first quarter of Game 3. Small. They're leaning into this as their identity, something they probably should have been doing since the start of the series. For reasons unknown, it's taken them until the last two games to really embrace that as A, their identity, and B, the antidote to what Utah wants to do. So they roll out Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Reggie Jackson. Uh, No traditional bigs. Lineup based on shooting and based upon switchability. All the things that you want in present-day NBA. So three-point shooting right out of the gate. It's a story for the Clippers. Again, same as game three. You got Marcus Morris banging down open threes. You have Kawhi drilling one. You have Paul George drilling one. Uh, It sets the tone for where this game's headed. You're the Jazz. If you're a Jazz fan, you're hoping, okay, I want to see a different start. I want to see a different style of basketball from the Jazz uh, and force the Clippers into things that they're uncomfortable doing rather than the other way around. And and it mirrored game three. It was the Clippers doing what they wanted to do on both sides of the ball and the Jazz being forced to respond to that and being unable to. Uh, The Clippers go 11 for 22 from three in the first half. Um, for the game, they finished with an offensive rating of 130. That's after an offensive rating of 142 in game three. Again, for reference, uh, that's points per 100 possessions. In the regular season, the very best team in the league, they average 118 per 100 possessions. So two consecutive games well be of your league best mark from the Clippers. Uh, and it ties into this Identity and lineup that they've been leaning into. The switchability, uh, the ability to attack you and dice you up on offense from multiple areas. When Gobert is in the game right now, they're content to play a perimeter-based game and do it very effectively. I I read some stuff yesterday from Jared Dubin of 538 that really illustrated how this Clippers team is different from how a lot of NBA teams are built and have been built for the last decade. They're more than comfortable shooting from the outside, uh, whether that's threes or whether that's two-point jumpers, but they're very good at doing that. High percentage of their shots come from those areas, uh, and they're efficient at scoring from those two places. So when Gobert's in the game, they're content to do that. Uh, And they've bombed away the last two games 
when he's been on the floor. They're canning their threes. Again, 50% on 22 attempts in the first half. And they're getting to the spots that they want to get to. When he's not there, uh, when Favors is substituted in for him, they say, all right, Favors seems like he's about two steps too slow right now for anything that we want to do. So we can get to the paint. Uh, We're going to get to the rim. We're going to dunk. We're going to lay it up. And if the Jazz defense has to come and help Favors, that's another open three-pointer in the opposite corner. Uh, That was just a steady diet in the first quarter and first half of this game for the Clippers. Getting the shots they want, stemming from George and Kawhi really being unstoppable uh, from the Jazz defense. So then on the other side of the ball, you go, well, at least the Jazz defense maybe did something. You, you can't really, or the Jazz offense did something. It can't be that bad on both sides of the ball. Unfortunately, it was. I wanted to see something different from game three, the first quarter and a half of that game. The Clippers leaned into double teaming Mitchell. Kawhi is the predominant defender upon him as the individual man. Uh, and this switchability. This ability to try and take the Jazz out of the actions that they want to run by merely switching them. And instead, we see the same thing from the Jazz offense. We see turnovers early. And we see a discombobulated offense. Mitchell and Bogdanovich, within the first couple minutes of the game, they try these terrible passes through a bunch of defenders. Both of them are snatched by the Clippers. Now they're going the other way. Uh, Royce O'Neal getting into the key, unable what to do. Tries to flip it to Gobert. Clippers grab it, going the other way. It's the same thing that killed the Jazz in Game 3. This stunning lack of ball movement and this stunning inability to get into the paint for anybody who's not Mitchell. You watch the Jazz throughout the season. uh, Part of the joy that came from that experience was free-flowing offense, multiple actions, pick and roll, it's defended, you go into something else, another pick and roll or dribble handoff, all of these free-flowing motions that create offense outside of strictly isolations. And the Clippers' defense uh, is done a masterful job in games three and game four last night by honing in on that and say, ooh, Mike Conley's not here. They're next best scoring creator. They have one person who's really going to hurt us in that area, Donovan Mitchell. So if we can squelch the first, uh, the first action and switch and now be prepared again, uh, we're going to force the Jazz into playing a style of basketball that outside of Mitchell, they are not equipped to play. And even with Mitchell, uh, we can make life really hard on him if he's just ice wing on every possession because we can bring a double team, we can help out in the paint, and he's going to have to finish over a lot of defenders or he's going to have to pass out of it and the Jazz are going to be in a position that they don't necessarily want to be on. Uh, The Clippers' defense in that half was everywhere. Like, truly uh, an astounding performance from them on that side of the ball. I've made fun of the Clippers for the last two years, uh, in part because they have so much defensive personnel that makes sense. And we very rarely see that manifested on the court. This speed, length, uh, hustle, and ability to do all those things at the highest level. Very rarely have the Clippers pieced that together. Last night in the first half, it was that. uh, About as good as you're going to see in an NBA game. Quinn Snyder, you see him in these uh, 
sideline interviews and he's mic'd up during the game. So they're cutting away to it. And he's continually talking about, we need more connectedness on the offensive side of the ball. He mentions that in his post-game press conferences a bunch. Uh, we need more connectedness. We don't have that. And that ties into what I'm talking about and the way that the Clippers are defending Utah. They squelch the initial action, and instead of being connected and being able to get something else going, it just branches off into an ISO. Again, a place that the Jazz, they're not going to be successful playing basketball if the majority of their possessions are ending in isolations. Uh, It's really hard for me to remember any quality looks that Utah was getting uh, there in that first quarter. Really, really hard. Every possession seemed like it was the biggest grind to get even a shot off, much less a quality shot. Uh, Everything on offense looked so freaking hard. Uh, Again, this was Groundhog Day. This was a repeat of kind of how the Jazz offense looked within the first quarter and change of Game 3. The Jazz in the first quarter last night, they're 6-for-21 from the field. They're 1-for-7 from 3. They have six turnovers. They finish with 13 points. Uh, All those numbers just point with a big red fingers going, uh, you are going to lose a game that you play like this in. And that's why the Jazz get run out of the gym. Uh, For the second consecutive game, the absence of Mike Conley is felt deeply. Uh, We didn't notice it as much in games one and two because the Jazz won both those games. And the offense was an approximation of what it's been in the regular season in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, Yeah, Mitchell was going out of his mind. That's a big part of it. But the secondary contributions were there. Uh, And the Jazz weren't just turning into this standstill isolation offense that's really hamstrung them the last two games. Uh, Without Conley they don't have the pressure release valve that is needed. Because when Mitchell is forced into a game like last night, where, yeah, he scores 37, but it's on 9 for 26 shooting. And if you watch the game, it was so hard for him to get anything going. The buckets he's making, they're over two defenders. Or they're step-back three-pointers with a defender underneath him. There was nothing easy that came within the flow of an offense. So when the ball is coming out of his hands... Uh, there's a pressure release that's needed. And who's being asked to fill those roles right now are people who are not doing a good job at that. Uh, Ingles and Bogdanovich, two players who played very tentative first half. Uh, and they seemed unsure of how and when to attack out of the ball getting out of Mitchell's hands. Uh, I spoke about it on the show for game three, but you need somebody... When your star is trapped and they get the ball out and now you have a four on three going in, you need people who know how to make decisions within the framework of this odd man break. Uh, That's what Mike Conley would bring to the table. Very cerebral player who's gifted at scoring and creating uh, and he understands how to attack, especially when he has odd numbers. The Jazz are struggling greatly in that role. Um, Jordan Clarkson, He's there at times doing that in the first half, and he's just the 1,000 miles an hour style player. As soon as he catches it, he's going, which I like. It's more aggressive than what Ingles and Bogdanovich were doing, but he doesn't fully process what to do when he gets to the area of the floor that demands a really quick decision. Uh, He's more of, I'm going to try to score, 
The Clippers know that, and now they have three defenders forcing him into a, an off-balance floater. Or when he's trying to throw a pass, he's not that great at doing that. So then he's throwing these uh, ill-advised lobs to Gobert, and they're going out of bounds, or they're being bumbled away. It's just not very good basketball. Uh, and, and the fourth person who's being thrust into that pressure release role, it's Royce O'Neal, who every time he gets it, I actually feel bad for him because Jazz fans are just, they're very frustrated with what Royce O'Neal's been doing the last two games. And I get it. He's looked atrocious. He's also being asked to do something that he doesn't possess the skills to do. Uh, Royce O'Neal is not a person who catches it in a four on three and is going to the basket and making a decision on, did I find the opposite corner that's open? Did I find Gobert for a lob? Did I pull up for a, a floater that's uncontested? Did I get to the rim and get fouled? He just doesn't possess that level of skill and decision-making. On offense, you want him to spot up at the opposite corner and hit a three that's open when necessary. That's his skill and his job on offense. And now the Clippers are forcing all these players into spots that they're not comfortable being. Uh, The role that if Mike Conley were around, he would be more than comfortable fulfilling. Uh, So that's where the Jazz are at right now. uh, And that's what's jumping off the page in the first quarter in the first half of game four. It, it was just, it was tough to watch because a lot of times I can watch a game and go, uh, it, it, with the personnel that you have, I would like to see this changed and I would like to see this changed. And, and if you do those things, then this game is a lot more competitive. And for the second straight game, I watched it and I go, I'm not that smart of a basketball person. I'm not a coach. You know, I'm, I'm a half doofus. I watch a lot of basketball and I don't fully comprehend with the personnel that the Jazz currently have what the adjustment is to what the Clippers are doing, uh, leaning heavily into this switchable three-point shooting lineup that is giving the Jazz fits on both sides of the ball. I don't know. I, uh, for the Jazz' sake, I hope Quinn Snyder uh, and the Jazz coaching staff have more answers than me, just a simple viewer, does. But it seems like an uphill battle for the Jazz without Mike Conley being there. Uh, there were times that this game in the first quarter and first half kind of approximated what I watch sometimes in college football when Alabama plays Vanderbilt and it just looks like two teams that probably shouldn't be playing one another. I had that sense in that game. Clippers were swarming on defense. Jazz can't get a shot up. On the other end, the Clippers are getting to all the spots they want to get to and scoring it will in those areas. In the first half, Marcus Morris scores 22 points. He's five for five from three-point range. Uh, Kawhi... He adds on. He's got 19 points in the half, 7 for 14 from the field. Paul George has 15 points. Just a, an all-encompassing effort from the team, defensively and offensively, the ways that they can hurt you on both of those places. It was all-encompassing. Uh, probably the kicker of the first half is Kawhi just screaming down the lane near the end of the first half and dunking right on the head of Derek Favors. Uh, it's the highlight that you'll see the most from the game. And it's symbolic of just how things went. Uh, This dominant effort from the Clippers, uh, the inability of the Jazz to do anything about it, and just the the swagger that you sense watching the Clippers right now. Uh, This feeling that they have that we've tapped into something that is currently unstoppable for the Jazz with the roster that they're fielding on the court right now. Uh, And you felt that swagger coming through on that play when he's running down and rising up and favors there to meet him. And, and Kawhi is just like, no, nope, not going to matter. This is going in the hoop. Uh, 
You have that same feeling the way that the first half ends when Mitchell is going against 10 defenders. And it's just a man on an island, and I actually feel bad for him. It's reminding me of where the Jazz were a few years ago against Houston in the playoff series when they didn't have help for Mitchell. And he was getting squelched by a similar style defense. Smaller, switchable, uh, and if you only have one go-to score and creator in that, against that style of defense, they're going to swarm you consistently, and they're going to force you into bad shots and bad decisions and make life really, really hard. That's the feeling I got last night. The first half ends with Patrick Beverly blocking Mitchell not once, but twice, then doing all the annoying Beverly things that he does, just the swagger, the strutting, uh, and just that feeling being exuded through the television screen that, ugh, this team feels like they've tapped into something that is unstoppable for current roster that Utah is playing. Uh, it, it was just a thorough ass kicking in every sense of the word. I, I wish that I had more analysis, uh, but again, for the second straight game, I, I don't really. It's just kind of the takeaways from the game were domination. Domination in game three, domination in game four. Um, a lot of that will be now on the Jazz coaching staff to say, what adjustments can we make? Um if you're a big believer in the idea that Utah can't guard elite wings, uh, a game like yesterday, it would be one of your main talking points. Because Royce and Bogdanovich, uh, they looked really lost on that side of the ball. They struggled to keep anybody in front of them uh, and just to know what to do, essentially, at any given time, as were Ingles and Clarkson when asked to uh, fill any of those roles. Um. Kawhi finishes the game with another dominant effort. Uh, 31 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, 1 block. George, similar thing. Uh, 31 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. This is the second straight game that both of these players have done whatever the hell they wanted to do. Uh, And when both of those dudes are rolling, it opens up the rest of the court for the Clippers' strengths to shine. The best 3-point shooting team in the league by percentage during the season that also shot on a high volume when George and Kawhi are drawing this much attention and still scoring efficiently and, and volume and opening up all of these gaps on the floor for the Clippers three point shooters to catch and shoot with space. You're just going to get an offensive performance like the Clippers have had the last two games. Uh, just again, dominant efforts in both of those areas. So we head back to Utah for game five. Uh, it's still a two, two series. And adjustments are always, uh, it's the word that's percolating on the mind of people who are within the series and people like me who watch the series. You know, the most obvious one, it has nothing to do with X's and O's. It's just, can Mike Conley suit up? Uh, because if he can, and if he can play with some close approximation to what he's played at in the past, that's a big boost for what the Jazz need on offense right now. The secondary score and creator, another person who can force the Clippers to respect, hey, we can trap, uh, we can force the ball out of Mitchell's hands, but if Conley's there, that's going to hurt us in a way that's not currently hurt us. Uh, On the offensive side of the ball, how do the Jazz maintain that connectedness that Snyder wants that he's talking about? Uh, And really, how do you do that with the current personnel if Conley's not playing? Is it possible with his personnel? I don't know. We haven't really seen a lot of glimpses of that in the last two games, that's going to be a big question that Utah will have to answer about itself, whether or not Conley is there. Uh, On the other side of the ball, how do the Jazz slow down these smaller 
shooting-oriented lineups that the Clippers are torching them with in games three and four? Uh, How do they bring back that level of effort and intensity and just simple ability to move their feet on the perimeter that they brought in games one and two, where I was raving about Royce O'Neal in game one. And I was raving about Boyan Bogdanovich in game two, especially in the fourth quarter of that game against Kawhi Leonard. Uh, How do the Jazz get back into a place where they can do those things? These are the adjustments and the questions that that team has to be asking themselves going into game five. So this episode has been pretty much all doom and gloom for the Jazz, uh, but there's still optimism because it's a 2-2 series and every playoff series will always have multiple twists and turns. We're seeing that throughout the league right now. Uh, the Nets and the Bucks. after game two, the Bucks look dead in the water. They're down 2-0. They've been hammer dunked on. And they win this grind of a game three, 86-83. Kyrie gets injured in game four. That's a big deal. Now we're heading into game five tonight, a 2-2 series. The Bucks are actually favored. Kyrie and James Harden are not playing tonight. It's had a lot of twists and turns. Uh, Atlanta, Philadelphia, which was last night. We've seen the same thing in that series. Atlanta comes out and bombs away in game one. Uh, Philly comes back and puts together a nice effort in game two. It's tied 1-1 going back to Atlanta. I think a lot of people, myself included, go, it's weird, but I feel like Atlanta can win this series. Philly puts together a great effort in game three. And I go, yeah, that was dumb. I don't know why I thought that. Philly's just, they're stronger. They're bigger. They're more physical. They have more talent. Uh, They're going to run them off the court. And last night, the Hawks come back from 18 down. They win. And I'm going into a game five going, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems like these are two pretty similar teams. I have no idea. I just don't. Uh, And if you're the Jazz and you're trying to be optimistic, you say this series has followed a similar pattern. We won games one and two. Clippers won games three and four. We have home court advantage. We're still favored by two and a half points in Wednesday night's game. We know that the emotional energy that our home crowd brings us will be there uh, probably more so than it's been at any point in these playoffs in game five. And that's something that's a big boost for a team that just needs to do the little things. Uh, Just these simple effort plays that can build into something greater. Uh, This game starts, game four starts with just the Clippers hustling and getting loose balls, uh, tipping out rebounds. The Jazz not boxing out. The Jazz not moving their feet on defense. And these turn into wide open Marcus Morris threes or Kawhi dunking at the basket or extended possessions for the Clippers that should have been the Jazz ball going the other way. These are things that can be tidied up just through emotion and through effort. Uh, And if you're the Jazz, you say, it's easier for us to be that when we're at home because you can ride the emotional wave that doesn't necessarily exist on the road. Um, So we go into tomorrow night's game and it's, you know, it's one of two stories. It's have the Clippers tapped into something that truly is unstoppable for this iteration of the Jazz without Mike Conley. Small ball, switchability, uh, space on offense. Is it something that the Jazz are going to continue to struggle with? Or is there adjustments that can be made on the Jazz side of things? Uh, and what will those be on Wednesday night? So that's where we're going to leave today's show. Um, I'll be up there at the game on Wednesday. I will be back on Thursday morning to talk about it. Uh, and we'll have answers to all of these questions uh, Thursday morning. Thank you for listening to No Baller. 
This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.